great to be together today. Thanks for being here. And uh, if you're in the auditorium, if you're watching the atrium, or if you're joining us on our live stream, welcome. Glad you've joined us for this beautiful uh, Colorado day. Well, before I get into my talk, I wanted to just uh, update you on uh, the, the process with our lead pastor search team. If you were here, you missed last week, uh, we announced that our uh, search team has prayerfully and unanimously uh, ready to present a person, a pastor, uh, to be the new lead pastor of Crossroads. He, it's a young man, and his family are going to be here in a couple of weeks. And uh, here's how uh, we're going to proceed as we go along. Um, he hasn't informed his church uh, yet about his uh, looking into this opportunity. And so um, we can't tell you who he is or where he's from or all of that just be, to keep things uh, okay for him where he is right now. Um, but on, uh, so this coming Thursday, we normally have a Thursday service. It's the 4th of July. We won't have our 4th of July service. We won't have a service on 4th of July. And then the following Thursday will be our first opportunity to meet the pastor, lead pastor candidate. So we'll have, a, we'll have two of these called Meet the Candidate uh, events, and you can come on Thursday night, Saturday morning for those two events. The details are there. And there's also a card in your program. You want to take that home with you, and it describes what's going to happen at each of these events. And so we have an opportunity to meet the candidate at those two opportunities. And then two weeks from today, uh, he'll be here on Sunday and preach. That's July the 14th at both services. And then at, the, at noon that day, this is how our church is organized. We will have a, me a meeting uh, where members, Crossroads members, can vote to affirm or not this new uh, pastor candidate. It's up to you. It's up to the church to vote this person in. So that's the process. This is what it means to be a member. You've taken the class, our Crossroads 101 Next Step membership class, and signed the covenant that says, this is, uh, I'm, I'm in. So that's, that's members. Everybody's welcome at every event. It's just that when it comes time to vote, uh, the way we're organized as a church, it's members that get to do that. So I hope that you'll come. Come to one of those meet the candidate meetings and then come be here next uh, two weeks from today for sure as we uh, search, continue to search God's direction for our future here at Crossroads. Very exciting. I'm very excited for this. Uh, we're in a series called Summer Road Trip where we're winding our way through the New Testament book of Acts. And whenever we take road trips, we depend on road signs to help us know whether to go this way or that way. And I found some road signs this week that actually if you found these on a road trip, they might not be all that helpful. Like here's the first one. It's a little confusing. Maybe you've been on a trip where you saw this sign, or maybe you've been on this, I mean, you've been on this road. It's like, ah, that's right. All right, and here's the next one where if you are going on a trip with someone you love, I'm not being prophetic here, all right? And then this last one, some of you actually, you know who you are. And you love it. You're aggressive. And just warning, you're going to the dark side. You just are. Well, today, we're stopping in chapter 8, where a guy named Philip meets up with an, an African government official. And it's a fascinating encounter on a road trip. 
I'll read it for you. It's in your program notes. It's up on the screens. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shear is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. The NBA draft was two weeks ago. No one gets drafted and expense, expects to spend the next three years on the bench. We just had a bunch of graduations this past May. No one gets educated, works at a career for years and years and years with the idea that the work that they did during all those years doesn't really count for much. No one wants to get as someone stand up at their funeral and say things like, she worked hard to be successful, or he did a good job acquiring money and power. She was anxious and driven and self-preoccupied. He impressed a lot of people. We don't want people to say that at our funerals. Here's something I know about you. You want to leave the world a little different. You want the work that you do in your jobs to actually live on, to produce something that lives on after you. You want the people that you encounter along the way, whether it's for a few minutes or a few years, you want to enrich their lives. You want to have some influence in their lives. You don't want to be a bench warmer. You don't have to be the star. You don't mind losing once in a while, but you want to be in the game. And you want the game you're in to matter. You see, deeper than our need for food and air and water is our need for meaning, for purpose. We want our lives to be a part of something larger than us. We are built for meaning the way Corvettes are built for speed. A study was done of 95 people, 50 people, 95 or, or older in years, and they were asked this question, if you could live your life over, what would you do differently? The three top answers were, number one, I would reflect more. Number two, I would risk more. And number three, I would do more things that would live on after I'm gone. And Jesus said, I'll tell you exactly what those things are that will live on after I'm gone. It's in a single statement at the end of the book of Matthew. And it's picked up in the first chapter of the book of Acts on our road trip. It's the same statement. We call it the Great Commission. It's essentially this. Jesus says, go out and train everyone you meet far and near to live and love like Jesus lived and loved. We call it the Great Commission. And when we are align our lives with that, with that purpose statement, our lives are going to have meaning because what God does lasts. 
has eternal value. And often when God wants us to do something, it begins with a very short, power-packed, two-letter word. It's the word that any person who's ever been in a race, they, they're at the starting line. They coil up their body like a garage door spring. And their ears are straining to hear this one word, this little two-letter word. And I want you to tell it to me with full voice, with great enthusiasm. I'm going to set you up here, and you know what it is already. Here we go. On your mark, get set. That's the word. That word is used 1,542 times in the Bible. I counted every one (laughs) with my computer. And the word stay... 62 times, 62 times. If we want our lives to have significance, purpose, and meaning, we need to tune our ears and and coil our bodies so that when God's spirit whispers or says the word, go, we go. And today I wanna talk about four goes right out of this passage. Here's the first one. Go into the zone of the unknown. The first go initially makes no sense to Philip. He'd been appointed, he's a Jewish follower of Jesus who'd been appointed to wait tables for Jewish widows. But he also has other gifts like speaking and healing. And in, in the city of Samaria where, where he was, he was having a huge impact in that city through his teaching, through the supernatural signs of life transformation. In fact, in chapter 8, verse 8, it says that the whole city of Samaria was filled with joy because of Philip. And then in 8.26, the angel of the Lord just, just directs him, and here's that word. It's in chapter, it's in verse 26, and what's the first word? Go, go south to the desert road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. Gaza is the last water stop before the road goes right into the desert. In fact, when Philip started out, he saw this road sign right here. Some of you have been on road trips to certain surrounding states where you see this sign a lot. States like Nevada. Just being clear here. It's Nevada where you see a lot of these signs. All right? And so so God directs Philip to go to this desolate, dry, harsh part of the country. No one would vacation in Gaza. And Philip has every human reason to question why God would say this particular go. God doesn't tell him why. He just says, go. Are you in a job where it feels a little desolate these days? It's dry. There's there's the people around you are a hostile environment. You're lonely there. It feels like a bit of a desert. Or maybe you live in an apartment complex or a neighborhood where you sense that God wanted you to live there, but you're looking around going, what am I doing here with these people, with this thing going on? You might be in a vocation that you trained for, and now that you're in it and you're doing it, you're looking around going, why am I doing this with my life? Or maybe, maybe the desert is in your heart. You feel spiritually dry. It's like a desert. There's not much life there doesn't seem, and yet you sense that God directed you And he's here, but it's a very difficult place. And the best question to ask when we find ourselves in the zone of the unknown is not, what am I doing here? The best question to ask when we're there is, what is God doing here? 
Because if he directed me here, he's up to something, something really good. I just don't know what it is yet. And are we willing to stay and linger and look around and pray when we find ourselves in that dry spot? You see, Philip was willing to leave the unknown. He was being very successful, very influential. But when God said, go, go to a desert place, he just went. And he stayed and lingered. And sometimes that's what God is saying to us. Go to the zone of the unknown and keep your eyes and ears open because I'm gonna do something good. And then we get the second go. Go near. We don't know how long it is in this desert road before this little chariot comes by. And this isn't some ironclad military armed chariot. It's likely a three or four person buggy that's clearly from another country. And this is where the story gets very, very dicey for Philip. The second go is even harder than the first. In 829, it says the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. You see, this go violates every pious religious scruple that religious Jewish people followed. You see, the man in the chariot is a black African from Ethiopia, which on our maps these days would be the area of southern Sudan. They are racially and culturally worlds apart. The man in the chariot is a eunuch. He's been sexually altered, which is a very common practice for anyone in countries where they wanted to work for the royal family. You see, kings would appoint eunuchs to oversee the harem, and you know why. He would also appoint eunuchs to work closely with the queen, which in this case is what he does. In fact, he has worked his way up. He's essentially the CFO of the entire country of Ethiopia in those days. He's smart, he's bright, he has high social status, he's rich, he's wealthy. You, you didn't own your own scroll, your own Old Testament scripture, if you didn't have a lot of money. Philip, worlds apart. Middle class, little status, essentially nobody. Socially, culturally, politically, economically. Furthermore, eventually in the story, you see the eunuch invite Philip to sit right next to him. For a Jewish person to sit right next to a sexually altered foreign man would be the ultimate defilement for a Jewish person. Unless it happens to be a Jewish person who'd been with Jesus, who understands that all that stuff doesn't matter anymore. Jesus had no problem violating certain religious restrictions of his day in order to love people. Philip had already made this first step when he went to Samaria. Again, if you're familiar with the, those cultures, Jews and Samaritans didn't want much to do with each other. Philip had already taken that step. He'd seen God come into the lives of Samaritan after Samaritan. He'd seen the life-transforming power of God in people that they, they preferred didn't, didn't really understand a whole lot about God. He'd seen Samaritans believe and belong and become followers of Jesus. You see, the Spirit of God strongly desires racial, gender, economic, and cultural barriers between people to be overcome. It's one of the most obvious themes of the book of Acts. And it's the spirit that has to push Christians to break these barriers, to go and embrace people of different races and cultures, and in this case, lifestyles. And over and over again, you see the spirit do this. 
The Bible talks about the spirit being grieved if we don't love who God loves. It grieves God especially if Christians of one race either show disdain or contempt or just avoid and ignore people of other races and cultures and lifestyles. It quenches the spirit, grieves the spirit. Listen to the voice of the spirit that says to Philip, Philip, go. Go up to that racially different, sexually altered, politically, economically distant man and get near. Get near. That's the language of the Spirit. And when Jesus says in Acts 1.8 to go to the ends of the earth, Ethiopia is the ends of the earth. And Jesus said that the, when the Spirit comes, which happened in chapter 2, and we're in chapter 8, he said the Spirit is going to be indiscriminate on who the Spirit comes on. Men, women, old, children, rich, poor, every race, every kind of person you can imagine. That's what the Spirit does. Because when it comes to God, God is not discriminating about who he wants to experience his love. And you see the great inclusivity of Jesus right here. Christianity does not belong to a culture, a particular culture. Laman Sana, who was an African professor at Yale, a Christian, wrote a little book a number of years ago called Whose Religion is Christianity? And he points out that all the major world religions except Christianity are still roughly geographically near where they started. The cultures out of which they developed are still where the vast majority of the adherents of that particular religion is. And that, of course, plays into the theory that religion is merely an extension of a culture created by a culture for their own use. 96% of all Muslims live in the Middle East, Africa, and South Asia, where Islam started. 90, 88% of Buddhists live in East Asia, where Buddhism started. 98% of Hindus live in India and South Asia, where Hinduism started. Sana points out that when you get to Christianity, it's absolutely different. It's the only worldwide faith. 25% of Christians in the world are in Central South America and the Caribbean. 22% are in Africa. 15% of Christians are in Asia. And that number is going up and up and up. 20% are in Europe and 12% of Christians in the world are in North America. Richard Bauckham, a scholar of St. Andrews in Scotland, says almost certainly Christianity exhibits more cultural diversity than any other religion. And that must say something about it. Sana goes on to explain this. I mean, why does this happen? Why is it this way? See, one of the questions is, why is it that Christianity is far more inclusive of cultural diversity than any other religion? Therefore, it's really the only worldwide and culturally diverse faith. Sana says that when Christianity comes to Africa, it challenges and yet accepts Africanness. It says, on the one hand, you're right. The world is a supernatural place. There are a lot of evil spirits and a lot of good spirits. But there is one who has overcome the evil spirits, Jesus Christ, and through him, you can overcome them too. Sana says that Jesus affirms Africanness and yet renews it. He says basically Africans sensed that in their hearts that Jesus did not mock their respect for the sacred, nor their clamor for an invincible savior. Christianity helped Africans to become renewed Africans, not remade Europeans. Africa went from about 9% Christian to 50% Christian in about 100 years. 
Korea went from 0% Christian to 40 or 50% Christian in about 100 years. China, way bigger than Korea. This week, I read Christianity is the fastest growing religion in China, growing at 7% per year. You do the math on that. In 10 years, 20 years, what is gonna be the number of Christians in China? There is no other religion that has moved, no other faith that has moved into an entire continent, Central America, South America, North America, Africa, and now Asia, like Christianity has done. And why is that? Why does that happen? Well, I'll tell you why it happens. Because there are people like Philip who are willing to go into the zone of the unknown, who are willing to get near people who are very different from them. That's how it happens. We're able to get right beside. You see, we live and work in close proximity to people from other cultures and other lifestyles every day, every week. They live in our neighborhoods. And oftentimes we don't want to get near. We, it's just awkward. It's uncomfortable. Oh, we'll wave at them from across the street or wave at them from across the cafeteria or the next cubicle or across the shop. But we won't get near. We won't walk up to them. We just kind of stay in our own little deal. Because to get near could be uncomfortable. It might violate some of our own current convictions and values around all sorts of things. Politics, sexuality, morality, economics, lifestyle. But that's not what God had in mind. You see, when God began this whole thing, he started with Abraham with one culture, one color, one race. And his design has always been that that through this one particular race, through this one particular people that he called the people of God, he would bless the entire world. That was his plan. And when Jesus came, he said, basically, we've been coloring with one color for way too long now. It's time to go out. And so he said, I want you to go to Judea and Samaria. Judea, they had no problem with. Samaria, wait a minute. Now you're pushing us. Now it's about to get uncomfortable. We're going to go to people who are very different that we've been separated for for years and years and years. Now you want us to go to Samaria? Philip's got experience with this. He went. Yeah, and he says, not only that, he says, this is God's plan. This is God's design. I want you to go to the ends of the world. I want you to go to all people, every color, every race, every kind of person you can imagine. That's God's vision. That's God's dream. And in fact, he, he tells us that this is the future. In the book of Revelation, he gives us a glimpse of this. 7-9, after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. Where are they from? Every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, standing before the throne of God and before the Lamb. That's God's vision. Now, you can color with one color. My favorite color is green. This is blue, but I, my favorite color is green. <laughs> But when I go to color something, you think I just take a green crayon? No, that is boring with a capital B. When I go to color, I want to take the whole 120 box with me. Why? Because it's more interesting. It's more fun. It's more beautiful. In fact, I was counting up. I helped lead a men's group on Saturday morning. We have six cultures. We have men from six cultures that come to this men's group on Saturday morning. I love it. I love it. There's two or three languages spoken once in a while. 
It's mostly Spanish, but that's okay. We like Spanish. We, we, it's just this wonderful mix. And if you're in that group, you know what it's like. God goes, that's my dream. That's my dream. And it's not just a dream for the future. Book of Revelation. God says, it's my dream. It's my dream for Crossroads. It's my dream for this church. Some people, some churches, they love one color, two colors, whatever. We want as many colors as there are in the community to want to be a part of our family, to believe, to belong, to become the kinds of people that God's called us to be together. And when we get 120 colors of diversity in this church, now that's beauty. There's some beauty there. So who is in your life today? Who is in your life today that's from another culture? That's from another lifestyle? That's from another part of the world? Part of the socioeconomic world? Who is it? And what could you do to go near this week? It's as simple of a thing as shaking hands. Introduce yourself. Ask a couple questions about their lives. Where are you from? Well, I met a person at the first service. He's from Ohio. It's a foreign country to me. It's from another culture. It is subtle, another culture. But who is it? Who is it that your life this week? Because God's going to say, hey, go into the zone of the unknown. There's people in your life today. Just think about this. And this week, he might say, go. Go get near. Go get near that person. And then the next thing might happen, number three, go near enough to hear, near enough to hear as we get near people and genuinely listen to their lives. I tell people oftentimes, we have to become experts at small talk so we can get to the big talk. There's a lot of small talk needs to happen here. And as we get close enough to people, we begin to listen to their lives. Here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna begin to get in touch with their longings, with their struggles, with their flaws, with their successes, with their joys, with their sorrows. You gotta ask, why would this eunuch take a thousand mile journey each direction, leave his culture and his own religion? Why would he do that? Plus, why would he leave his position working for the queen that he had worked all of his life to obtain and now he goes off, this trip would have taken almost a year to do this. You think they're gonna hold this spot for him? So you can go on some religious find yourself trip. And it was a dangerous part of the world to travel. And the answer is only one reason why this man would do that. Because there was a great emptiness in his heart, in his soul, that his own religions couldn't fill. His job couldn't fill it. His position, his political power couldn't fill it. All of the success couldn't fill it. Why else? Would he get interested in the God of the Bible and say one day, maybe there's something for me a thousand miles away in that temple in Jerusalem with this God I've heard something about. And so he goes, he goes. And when he gets to the temple, after all that sacrifice, they won't let him in. He can't get in. The temple laws had all these rules about who could get into the temple and worship God and who couldn't. And we don't always understand all these rules, but they were there to get across a spiritual idea. And a lot of times we miss it. But here's the idea. God is holy. People are sinful. And you can't just walk into God. You need to be prepared. You need to be cleansed. 
Something needs to be done about the sin. And all these rules and regulations were like object lessons to try to get that across. But some of the rules permanently excluded some people. Some people could never go in. And one of the rules was that no eunuch could ever go in to worship God. And so he goes all that way and he has the door closed in his face. And now he's on his way home. And you can imagine the disappointment and the discouragement that's going through him. And yet, he doesn't give up hope because he's still reading the Jewish scriptures. And he's re- we know where he's reading. He's reading in about chapter 53 of the book of Isaiah. It's in a scroll. It's not pages. He's reading this. And he's reading all about this, this section of this book. And And I think, the scripture doesn't say this, that he'd read three chapters later in our Bibles because here's the verse, 56, three through five. It says in the book of Isaiah, let no foreigner say, the Lord will exclude me from his people. There's some good news for this eunuch. And it goes on to say, and let no eunuch complain. I am only a dry tree for this is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give a name better than sons and daughters an everlasting name that will never be cut off. Can you imagine the reaction of this person who just had the door slammed in his face when he gets to the book of Isaiah where it says, wait a minute, there is a way. God doesn't exclude sexually altered people, doesn't exclude eunuchs. In fact, he says, I'm gonna give you a name that's better than having children. And he goes, I, I, what is that name? Because I'm not having any kids. What is it is a name that can last forever? And he's very curious about this. And he's being told, God speaking to him in his own cultural terms, that there is a salvation. There's a, there's a meaning that goes beyond not only the power and success, but also family. And we have people in our lives who look like this man. They got the world by the tail. Successful, powerful. They got money. It seems like peace is in their lives. And they have and some of these people have, doesn't seem like they have, any, they have little need for God. They've got life dialed in. But I believe with Blaise Pascal, who is reported to have said this, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man and woman which cannot be satisfied by any created thing but only by God the creator made known through Jesus Christ. There is a God-shaped void in the heart of every human being And no created thing, no job, no person, no dream, no success can ever quite fill that void. That's why the eunuch makes this thousand mile trip and is willing to sacrifice because he knows that. He's discovered that about his own heart. A number of weeks ago, uh, my wife and I had dinner with some good friends of ours. We've known them for years. And uh, they're wonderful people, very well-educated. Uh, he's got a PhD, postdoc, all that stuff, and he's a scientist. And uh, they're fun, compassionate, caring people. Um, but as far as we can tell, he particularly doesn't really want that much to do with the whole idea of God. I mean, it's the whole scientific thing, at least in his brain. But every time we have dinner, he brings it up. And we go at it. He's passionate, I'm passionate. In fact, our wives are going, hey, boys, 
calm it down here a little bit. But we just, you know, he, he's a great thinker. I challenge some of what he says. He challenges, I learn, he learns, all of that. We have these wonderful conversations. And yet every time I go away, I think, I don't know if he moved any closer to God or not in that conversation. I don't know. But I believe what Pascal said about in the heart of every human being we meet, there is a God-shaped void that, that cannot be filled by anything else. And this topic of God is gonna come up. Even if their soul and mind and heart are resistant to the idea at the outset. And my goal and our goal together in these kinds of conversations is to get near and stay near and listen and listen and listen. Now, in Philip's case, I don't think he had to listen very long before he realized the heart question of this man and to get that man to ask, actually ask that question. But for some of us, we might have to get in their chariot in their life and ride for miles and years and years and just keep listening and probing and suggesting and just being with these people and never, ever give up. Because who knows when this might happen? Number four, we might get to go and actually talk about Jesus. In fact, in a couple of weeks, I'm gonna talk during my sermon on how to have spiritual conversations. How do we have those? How do we keep, anyway, I'm gonna do that in a couple of weeks, but here's the fourth one, go and talk about Jesus. So this eunuch is reading and suddenly he realizes all through this part of the scripture that there's this strange and enigmatic figure in the book of Isaiah called a servant. In fact, God even calls him my servant. And this servant is suffering. He was led like sheep to a slaughter, the eunuch reads out loud. Chapter, Isaiah 53 verse eight says, by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people, he was punished. So here's a servant in the book of Isaiah that seems to be voluntarily becoming a lamb who was slain and voluntarily becoming a eunuch, cut off, no descendants. And this eunuch is intrigued. It's like, who's this servant? He's cut off, he has no descendants. He's killed, he's not for his own, and he's, he's suffering, not for his own benefit, but for the sin and the benefit of other people. And so this eunuch, out of the depths of his own longing, out of this God-shaped vacuum in his soul, asks the most important question any human being can ever ask and answer, and it's this. Who is the one who sacrificed himself? That's what he's asking in his head. But in his heart, this is what he's asking. Who is it that can satisfy the deepest longings of my heart? Is there anybody out there who can help me make sense of my life? Because up to this point, everything I've tried just hasn't done it. That's the question that he eventually gets to. And because Philip, because Philip is willing to go into the unknown, no idea what God's up to. God just says, go. And so he goes on this dry, dusty, desolate place. And then this guy comes along into his life on a road trip. And God says, run alongside and listen and listen and listen. And then guess what? The eunuch invites him to come alongside him. Get in 
my chariot. And he keeps listening. And eventually, the question emerges from the eunuch, is there anyone who can help me make sense of my life? And it's the scripture says, and Philip began where he was and told him the good news about Jesus. We begin where people are and we point them in the direction of the one who can help them make sense of their life. That's what we do. And this man responds in faith. He goes, hey, Philip, any reason why I can't be baptized like right here, like right now? They happen to be go by a pond of water. Philip goes, let's do it. So they do it. And off the unit goes to Africa and Philip leaves. And so this encounter, this is our mission together. You want meaning in your life? This is one of the ways to get it. Get near enough to people so that when they ask the question, who can help me make sense of my life? We're there to point them to Jesus. We're the signpost. We're the signpost that says, go here, go there, point them to him. That's who we are. We don't have to be fancy signposts. We don't have to be lit up neon light signposts. We just need to be clear. Just be clear. There we go. And you might be here today watching, and you're, you're more like this African man. You're asking the question, is there anybody out there who can help me make sense of my life? And the reason you've tuned in or the reason you're here is because you have a sneaking suspicion. It has something to do with God and Jesus. And we're glad you're here. And you just keep coming. We'll ride with you We'll come alongside your life as long as it takes. And here's two things I would suggest, though, in your journey, in this spiritual road trip that you're on, if you're asking that question. Here's two things you could do. The first thing is get as close to Jesus as you can. And one of the best ways to do that is read the book. Read the book about Jesus. The book of Acts is the sequel, all right? Luke wrote it. He also wrote part one, which is about Jesus. It's called Luke, the gospel of Luke in your New Testament. It's 26 chapters. Do a chapter a day. Just read. Jesus, I want to, hey, if I want to get to know you, I want you to draw near to me. I want you, I'm going to draw near to you. And so you could do that. Just get a New Testament, get one on your phone, on your device, read the book of Luke and ask yourself, who is this man? Because he might have something to say and help me make sense of my life. And the second thing that you, you can do, if that's you, is find a Philip. Find someone like Philip who said, I don't understand what I'm reading. Can you help me understand what I'm reading? And if there's no one in your life, call me. I would be happy. Call Isaac, Katie, John. We, there's nothing we love better than having these kinds of conversations where we can help point you to the one who can make sense of your life. And the rest of us, you know, you might go, no, I've, I've come across the line. I've, I'm in with Jesus. Now here's the question. Are you willing to go into the zone of the unknown this week? Are you listening for the Spirit's whisper or shout or nudge when he says go go talk to that person go near go near are we willing to stay near linger near pray near walk near with those people no matter who they are where they're from what their lifestyle is so that someday when that question bubbles up from their heart is there anyone who can help me make sense of my life? You're there. You're there. And that brings meaning. Would you stand? <clears throat>
bow your heads for just a second. I just want to ask you a question. Just go to God and ask God, what do you want me to do with what I've heard today? What is it that you want from me right now? And for some of you, you might be asking the question, I'm looking for someone to help me make sense of my life. And so here's the prayer you could pray. Jesus, come near. Jesus, come near. My eyes are open. My heart's open. My mind's open. I got lots of questions. But Jesus, I, I'm just asking you to become a reality to me. I think that you might help me make sense of my life. So your prayer, prayer is come near. And for the rest, who is it that God's going to say to us, go? Just go. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to have all the answers. They might ask you questions that you have no idea. But who is it that God's going to say, go? Go near. Go into the unknown. And Lord, we're listening. And I want to say for all of us, by faith, when you say go, we will. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks for being here today. If you need prayer for anything, Jan's here, really anything. You go, hey, I got a need, I got a concern, I got a praise I wanna share with somebody. Jan's right here. See you next week. Have a cup of lemonade on your way out. Don't roast to death going to your car. <laughs>